Have you ever wanted to play the perfect tabletop game where story beats run smoothly and there's no awkward pauses between dice rolls? Yeah, me too. But since that's impossible, I did the next best thing and novelized my Witcher tabletop game to showcase the story in its cleanest form. The result is this podcast. I'm Jacob Gerstel, and this is Tales from the Witcher. Part audiobook, part actual play, part serialized adventure, and a whole new way to vicariously enjoy tabletop games. Welcome to the world of The Witcher, where monsters roam freely and the continent is once again at war. If you were hoping to follow the plight of Gale to Rivia, however, I'm not going to be doing that. Instead, I offer you the story of a not-so-merry band of degenerates who are making their way across the continent. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. The Last Moment 20. As you can see, production is running smoothly. Jeremiah swept his hand across the large room. It had originally been three connected shops in the trader's quarter, but thanks to Migrative Kavir's connection, he was able to purchase all three and knock down the interior walls. Now it was one large industrial floor. Three rows of tables divided the room. Over a dozen dwarves, gnomes, halflings, and the odd werebub worked at each table, carefully assembling one small piece of the crossbow before passing it along to the person next to them. A repeating crossbow was fully produced by the end of the table, and carefully placed into a crate. A few dozen crates already crammed the back wall. Sir Isaac walked down one of the rows and picked up a small spring. He held it between his thumb and forefinger and inspected it closely, as if he knew what it was. Impressive. I see the capital the church loaned you did not go to waste. Of course not, Jeremiah said. In truth, he had wished for more starting money, but Sir Isaac was hesitant and he didn't want to push his luck. So he, Ezra, and Mygard made do. The result was a small-scale production of the Keller repeating crossbow. Sir Isaac pointed to the various residents of the village of Adderd. And no one here knows the design of the crossbow? Jeremiah shook his head. Each person is trained only to attach their one piece of equipment. No one here could assemble the whole thing. So you're the only one who knows the design? Ezra of Nilfgaard and Mygard of Kavir also knew the design, but all three had sworn secrecy. It would be unprofitable, after all, if Jeremiah's design got out. As I've said before, it's just me, Jeremiah lied, and I've even started work on a second design to complement the crossbow. Oh? Isaac put the spring down and turned to the craftsman. What is it? A crossbow bolt that splits after being fired. In theory, it can hit multiple targets at once. Isaac rubbed his jaw. A split bolt? Not a bad name for it, but one thing at a time. For now, we are producing 36 crossbows a day. With a bit of money, we could expand the operation. As it turns out, I have the perfect buyers. Duke Haggard of Mulderwood is a good friend, and interested in my product. And he also appears to have the ear of King Stennis, who... I apologize, but it appears you've misunderstood the nature of your contract, Sir Isaac said. You are to arm the Church of the Eternal Fire, and no one else. For this, we allow you to operate unmolested in any city or town that you choose. That is the nature of your agreement with Mother Lana. Selling these crossbows to any other kingdom would break that contract. A few workers looked up from their table. 
Jeremiah pulled Sir Isaac aside and spoke in a hushed whisper. I fear you're missing the larger point here. After all, is there not a great northern alliance led by Redania, which the church has significant sway with? It would be for the good of the north to distribute as many repeating crossbows as possible to repel Nilfgaard. Aye, and what about when the war is over, and the kingdoms are flooded with your weapons? Then the north will turn on each other. It is best to keep these crossbows in responsible hands, don't you think? The thought of the Church of the Eternal Fire being a peaceful arbitrator in the north was a laughable concept. Still, Jeremiah had to say, I agree, of course, but... Good, then I've made my point. Sir Isaac walked towards the stacked crate near the back of the floor. You said you've been making 36 a day. That means you've around 700 completed crossbows? Yes, Jeremiah said slowly. The church will take them back with us to Redania, and all future shipments will be sent to the city of Novograd. The hierarch will then decide where to ship it. So Isaac gave a crooked smile. It should be easy, now that trade on the Pontar River has been relaxed. Indeed. Jeremiah gritted his teeth. I can manage the shipping to Novograd. Sir Isaac nodded. We'll keep a few of the Order of the Flaming Rose in Crag Ross to make sure production runs smoothly. Do you have any issues with that? Not at all. Sir Isaac clapped Jeremiah on the back. Then stop looking so glum. You're about to become a very rich man. Come on, I'll buy you a drink. Jeremiah didn't feel like a rich man. He felt like a man who had, after years finally had all of his old debts called in. 21. The werebub was hard to forget. He was the same lynx-faced beast in the defunct Vidmar iron mine, reprimanding his dwarven companions for letting the assassins kill their Fistech producers and steal the Marstone. Gods, he's almost as ugly as I am, Ethermel thought. The werebub looked far more intimidating than he remembered, but that was likely because he only saw him from a distance in the dark. Now, the werebub was standing so close, the sorcerer could smell his rancid breath. He stood well over six feet, and glowered down at Ethramel. You say you have a business proposition for Vidmar? the werebub asked. For the second time, yes. Ethramel found Vidmar's stately stone manor deep in Crag Ross, in the Old Quarter, which was really just another way to say Wealthy Quarter. The dwarf, Vidmar, seemed to have done quite well for herself as the manor's front end towered over most of the nearby shops, and gods only knew how deep it went into the rock. The werebub inclined his snout towards the oaken door and growled, Then follow me, and stay close. Stray too far, and I'll gut you. Ethramel held his hands up in a disarming gesture, wondering if he'd be able to use one of his new spells before the werebub ripped him to shreds. Not worth risking, he decided. At least I'm on the right path, Ethramel thought. It seemed too big of a coincidence that Fistech producers would be using Vidmar's mine without the dwarf knowing. The fact that the werebub mentioned the iron magnate by name down in the mine only confirmed Ethermel's suspicion. From there, Vidmar was not too hard to track down. He only hoped the dwarf would listen to him long enough to see the profits that could be had. Vidmar sat in a vast library, and looked every bit as stately as her manner. Her face was as stern and unyielding as the stone of Crack Ross itself. She stroked her gray beard and studied the sorcerer's scarred face. She asked why the elf had come to her. Ethramel bowed. To provide a business opportunity. One that could be quite profitable for both of us. He tried not to look at the growling werebub guarding the door. You see, I've caught wind of the secret Fistech lab in your defunct iron mine. 
he heard the werebub step towards him, but Vidmar held out a calloused palm. You wouldn't happen to have found the Marstone, would you? No, Ethramel lied. Someone beat us to it. Pity. I'd have paid a fortune for the stone. It would be perfect for my collection. Ethramel felt a strange relief that an ancient stone of power didn't fall into the hands of this rich collector, but tried not to let it show. Regardless, I think I can help you expand your business. If you could get me in touch with your producer, I can... There is no producer, Vidmar said sharply. I run the business. You'd be amazed how easy it is to convert defunct mines into labs. I produce most of the Fistech in the Mahakam Mountains, as well as southern Tamaria and Edern. What could you possibly contribute? Shipping routes, Ethramel said. I happen to be very good friends with an arms producer. His wares would make it easy to smuggle your Fistech across the Pontar Valley. Why settle for southern Tamaria and Edern when you could push as far north as Redania and Kedwin? Vidmar reclined in her chair. What are you hoping to gain out of this? Besides coin, of course. Why does everyone plow and ask that? Ethramel thought. He said, Coin is its own reward, Vidmar. I've been on the road for far too long. It's time I create enough wealth to retire. Is that not enough? Vidmar inclined her head slightly. I suppose. I'll provide you with a small supply of Fistech. Free of charge. Show me how profitable your shipping routes can be and we can discuss a longer-term contract. But don't dawdle, or I'll lose interest. Flets here can show you the supply. The werebub put a meaty paw on Ethramel's shoulder. His snarl revealed yellowed fangs. Follow me. The sorcerer considered that Flets could be leading him into a trap, but decided to follow anyway. After all, Vidmar's Fistek supply was the last piece of the puzzle for him to acquire his own wealth, which itself was only his first step to creating an independent elven kingdom. And everything worth doing had risk. 22. Another meeting? I barely hear from any of you for three weeks, and suddenly you all want to get together and talk. Carmignola sipped his mead and glanced around the stoneworks inn. And where in the hell is the witcher anyway? He's the one who called this plowing meeting. Ethramel and Jeremiah shrugged. The elf had his nose stuck in a book, and the craftsman was silently fuming and holding a crumpled piece of parchment in one fist. Zevo had called them all together, not one day after Tabek's unceremonious farewell. Carmignola didn't know what it was about, but he didn't hesitate to order a platter of roasted boar and another round of mead for everyone. The witcher said he was going to pay their tab after all, but he sure was taking a sweet time getting to the meeting. Eventually, Zevo did arrive, he looked like he hadn't rested in days. Carmignola had heard he'd taken a contract to clear out the defunct mines, and he shuddered thinking about fighting any more Anafeli in the dark. Zevo ordered a drink and plopped into an empty chair. He piled sliced boar onto his plate and ate with his fingers. Neither Ethramel nor Jeremiah seemed to care. But Carmignola did care. He had places to be. He wanted to see the Redanian delegation off, especially Selene Matep who had been nothing but kind to him during the entire summit. She had even helped him establish his new identity as Carmignola Magfield of Gore's Velen, in a way. If she was suspicious of his intentions, she never showed it. Celine occasionally had him deliver a few letters, but mostly just seemed to enjoy the doctor's company. Carmignola felt the same way. Well, Witcher, Carmignola said after what he felt was an appropriate amount of time, what is it you summoned us all here for? Zevo burped and wiped his mustache with a napkin. All right, I won't mince words. 
We all stuck together after Ashford because we were refugees fleeing the war. But now it seems like we're all doing well. He looked to Ethramel and Jeremiah. You've got your business ventures. Zevo looked to Carmignola. And you've become a Tamarian nobleman. I think this is as good a time as any for our paths to split. Carmignola put his mug down and tilted his head. Jeremiah did the same. Ethramel glanced up from his book, but quickly looked back down. I'm sorry. What? the doctor asked. Zevo shrugged. The path is calling. I think it would be safer if I went off alone. Carmignola was at a loss for words. He thought he was prepared for Zevo to say anything, but he didn't even consider that the Witcher would be leaving on his own. Carmignola had grown comfortable with Zevo's stalwart presence on the road. To suddenly be deprived of it... I don't understand, Carmignola said. Why leave now? What's changed that you have to leave us behind? Zevo stayed silent on the matter. Carmignola looked to Ethramel and Jeremiah. Are neither of you going to say anything? You're just okay with letting him leave? Ethramel shrugged. I'll be able to find him if I need to. Zevo narrowed his eye at the sorcerer, but said nothing. It's his choice, and I respect it, Jeremiah said. He turned to Zevo. That being said, I've recently run into some money and could use some protection once we leave Mahakam. Would you consider sticking around for coin? I'm not a bodyguard, Zevo grunted. He drained his mug and stood up. I hope we all meet again someday on the path. Carmignola watched the Witcher leave the inn. He swore under his breath and drank his mead. He nearly spat it out when he heard someone next to him say, Well, if he's just going to leave his food, it would be a shame to waste it. Yana was suddenly in Zevo's chair, sawing through a brown piece of boar with a knife and fork. You always knew how to make an entrance, Jeremiah sighed. Yana popped the boar into her mouth and grinned. It's fortunate you all together. I wanted to speak with you. I was hoping our dear Witcher would want to stick around, but who are we to meddle in affairs of the heart? Affairs of the what? Carmignola said. Never mind. The sorceress waved her hand. Tell me, have any of you given thought to where you'll go next? You can stay in the trader's quarter, but with the summit wrapping up, you'll find your welcome in Crag Ross will have cooled considerably. I'm going towards the Pontar Valley, Ethramel said. Carmignola gave it some thought. I'll head to Tamaria. I am a noble there, after all, and I can see my dear friend and kin, Sebastian, in Gore's Velen. I suppose it doesn't matter, Jeremiah said. But the city of Novigrad, most like. I have some business to settle there. And did you all plan on traveling together? Yana asked. Carmignola looked to Jeremiah and Ethramel, who looked back at him and at each other. We hadn't discussed it, Carmignola said. Yana sighed and ran a hand through her curly hair. You may not know it, but you all work remarkably well together. Few could have endured the trials you all have. If only you liked each other's company enough to see it. Not everything works out perfectly, Ethramel said. He still had his book open, but seemed more interested in the sorceress. True, replied Yana. Truth be told, none of you are my first choice. But destiny works in mysterious ways, does it not? and it's best not to dice against it. Yana sighed again when she saw everyone's blank stares. Truth is, I would strongly encourage you all to head to Tamaria, and then travel north to the Pontar Valley. And why would you recommend that? Jeremiah asked. Because you all have a part to play in delaying Ithlin's prophecy. To that, Ethramel closed his book. Carmignola didn't blame him. Everyone had heard of the ancient elven prophecy that heralded the end of the world. 
Carmagnola had read about it so many times, he'd committed it to memory. Verily, I say unto you, the era of the sword and axe is nigh, the era of the wolf's blizzard. The time of the white chill and the white light is nigh, the time of madness and the time of contempt. Ted de Ared, the time of the end. The world will die amidst frost and be reborn with the new sun. It will be reborn of elder blood, of hen ichor, of the seed that has been sown, a seed which will not sprout, but burst into flame. Est tuothes, thus it shall be. Watch for the signs. What signs these shall be, I say unto you. First, the earth will flow with the blood of unsaid, the blood of elves. Delaying Ithlin's prophecy, eh? Ethramel said with a smirk. Are we to single-handedly stop the continent from freezing over? Many think the prophecy will occur in an instant. Yana snapped her fingers. Just like that. But it won't. The prophecy is slow-moving, and has been happening for some time. No one person can stop it, but we can all play our part to keep the timetable from accelerating. We can buy more time for ourselves. Carmagnola had to admit he was interested. Very interested. And how would we do that? By learning all you can about this rebellion brewing in the Pontar Valley. It seems someone's trying to take up that rebel Saskia the Dragon Slayer's mantle already. Someone they call the Gutter King. It will take some time for the Northern Alliance to become organized. And even when it is, Nilfgaard will take priority. But this Gutter Rebellion has the potential to destabilize the North. And a destabilized North only accelerates Ithlin's prophecy. All I ask is this. Continue through Tamaria together, not as refugees, but as companions with a purpose. Learn what you can about this rebellion from the places you visit. Yana looked to each of them in turn. You've all more talent together than you think. It would be a shame to see it go to waste. Saving the world from the wolf's blizzard sounds all well and good, Ethramel said, but I've never been one to act on charity. Would there be any other incentives to find out about this gutter rebellion? Yana pushed her plate away and stood up. I was prepared for that. Yes, if you provide me with useful information, I can pay you. If you wish to take my offer, meet me tomorrow morning at Crag Ross's western entrance. That's the quickest way to Tamaria. And with that, Yana left. Carmagnola's hands were shaking. It was not often one was given such a task, and he was already planning on heading to Tamaria. Why not continue a little longer with companions he'd grown accustomed to? So Carmagnola raised his mug and said to the others, Well, here's to saving the world. That'll do it for this episode of Tales from the Witcher. This podcast is written and produced by Jacob Gerstel. The Witcher novels are by Andrzej Zipkowski, The Witcher games are by CD Projekt Red, and The Witcher tabletop RPG is by R. Talsorian Games. The music is by Eric Matias at soundimage.org. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and to spread the word of this podcast far and wide. You can follow the podcast at TalesWitcherPod on X, or at TalesFromTheWitcher.Buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again next week.